1: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No process. Over prohibited by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
3: Hello and welcome to the Sunday night edition of the Football Social Daily and if you are just getting your breath back after a brilliant end to Manchester City against Liverpool at Anfield, then to be honest, so am I eye and a quick spoiler alert if you haven't seen the result if you didn't watch the game it was an absolutely titanic clash between the title holders and what i am calling the title pretenders on merseyside city battle themselves back not once but twice As Pep Guardiola secured a 2-all draw an absolutely brilliant game and let's be honest there is nowhere else that we would start the show than at Anfield goals 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 and 90 minutes of drama as these two rivals just could not be separated. So that's all to come in part one of the show. And alongside that, we'll also be looking at a draw for the red half of Manchester as United were held by Everton in yesterday's lunchtime kickoff. Part two, we check out some of the other key results this weekend. Chelsea fought back against Southampton and Tottenham. Edged out three points against Aston Villa And then to wrap up the show in part three We'll be looking across the remaining six games this weekend With some big wins and some important results Three points across the board for Brentford, Leeds and Wolves Right then, absolutely stacks to get to on tonight's show My name's Fergal Brennan And joining me we have Manchester City fan and podcaster Ant McGinley Ant, how are you doing?
2: Uh, not very well. That game ruined me. I'm not sure I'll make it to part three.
3: Okay, that's fair enough. Very honest. Um, and joining Ants alongside Ants, we have the Stretford Paddocks finest, Jay Motti. Jay, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm all good. I'm good. I'm still recovering from the mouth-watering clash that was the one all draw with Evan. <laughs>
3: right, well you're going to have to keep your mouth uh, Watering for now Or you're going to have to just hold on to your tongue Just uh, just for a few minutes And we're going to focus on Liverpool against Man City To kick the show off In terms of results, uh, a point apiece Probably not really massively beneficial to either side As they look to get a bit of an edge in the title race But in terms of the game itself These massive games against the Premier League's big boys They tend to be built up a lot Particularly when they're given you know, prime time slot on a Sunday Where it's all cleared and you can just focus on it And based on the first hour in this one it looked to be going completely against the script no big chances looked to be just a game of chess probably sneaking off to a goalless draw and then bang four goals in 30 minutes and whether you're a City fan Liverpool fan or a neutral fan it absolutely lived up to expectation in the last 30 minutes
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'd I'd love to find out what it was that uh, Jurgen Klopp said and did at halftime to change things around um, or or whether that was the plan all along. Uh, It's definitely one of those games where I think, I I, kind of wish I wasn't as invested as I am uh, because I think as a neutral, it would have been just a tremendous uh, game to watch. But it absolutely took me on a roller coaster of nerves throughout the whole thing. Uh, Let's be honest, Anfield has not been the the best hunting ground for city in recent seasons and indeed liverpool have really you know risen to be our, our rivals and and actually that that really was the feel of the first half it, it really throughout the game had a feel of a derby match that's what it felt like it had that intensity it had the passion and it had those moments of brilliance and almost the the traditional derby red card which uh arguably we should have seen uh, for James Milner. There was there was a brilliant moment and I was wondering how much um, interaction there'd been when Milner was at City with what would have been a very young Phil Foden back then. And um, towards the end of the first half when he, he picked up the yellow card, he just kind of went, you know, we need to get in at 0-0 here and just wrenched him back uh, with, with, with the arm. And I, I think very much arguable... Um, that he, he could have been sent off, but that's the way these things go. And uh, in, in terms of the game, I—I I mean, there were some moments of genius. There was uh, a brilliant couple of brilliant passes from Edison setting up Foden towards the end of the first half. Uh, un- unlucky not to to pick up a goal there. Uh, the Salah goal, I have to say, uh, you know, I'm not even wearing a hat, but I'm going to find one, put it on, and take it off <laughs> again because. That was something of uh, of beauty. Uh, great to see Foden step up again and come in there. And yes, it was came through a deflection, um, but the De Bruyne goal. Uh, I don't think that uh, we saw the best of Grealish in this game, and he, he obviously came off towards towards the end. It was replaced with Sterling, who looked lively, but as we know, Sterling doesn't get any goals against Liverpool. But I think, considering where we are, considering we're seven seven games into the season now we've played both Chelsea and Liverpool and got four points from those two games I'm I'm quite pleased with that result I think
3: Um, I can't wait to flick over to Jay as de facto Liverpool fan, but I'm going to save that for just a second. And I want to keep focusing on City just for a minute because you look at the result and you look at the balance of the game. The first 45 minutes, City, as you mentioned, dominated. Phil Foden gave James Milner a really, really difficult time. Had a good chance saved by Alisson. Kevin De Bruyne and Gabriel Jesus, both missing chances. The tie team to turn after the break and it was Liverpool that did force the agenda and aside from Foden's little moment of magic to get back level the first time and then De Bruyne's goal that was relatively fortunate, were you concerned that City had thrown the impetus over to Liverpool and against Liverpool at Anfield where City as you mentioned don't have a fantastic record, they won their last season for the first time under Pep uh, in the Premier League there must have been a few nerves rattling around. City fans will obviously talk about their confidence in City's grit to come back. You know, you don't become champions by letting results just slip away. But when you do that against a team like Liverpool, you make yourself very, very vulnerable to losing.
2: Absolutely. And I think we've got to look at both managers as well. I think that means now it's still a complete dead heat between the two managers. I think that's nine wins each and four draws across the Bundesliga and the Premier League. So, you have to give a lot of respect to, to Klopp and, and, and the sides he's put out as well. I think there is a there's there's bound to be a frustration and and the question will come up again about should we have got a striker instead of Grealish? Would they put somebody a little more deadly? You can imagine somebody with the finish of Salah and the finish by Mane as well. I have to say as well that considering a brilliant through ball from Salah, great finish from Mane, you know something like that up top would that have made a difference and I think you have to say yes and and even, even in, in Paris in midweek as well because you know we, we've we got I think they, it's a wonderful thing to see this holding possession and passing it about and being in control but it very quickly becomes frustrating when there's no end result and that is something that um, we uh, even more frustratingly we didn't seem to get until we had the impetus of going behind and while it was great to see that reaction I think for the sake of my nerves and and every other City fan out there I'd rather see us
3: go out there and get that goal without having to be prompted in such a way Jay, looking at Liverpool, we talk about City and maybe they missed a few key chances. Maybe they weren't as efficient as they should have been. Liverpool on the flip side were pretty much as efficient and and as ruthless as you can get. Three shots on target and two of them ended up in the back of the net. Brilliant goal from Mane and then even better from Salah to put Liverpool in front and for what the home fans and what Klopp and the team probably would have thought was a win against the defending champions and Liverpool will be disappointed against the balance of the game. They probably can't really have too many arguments. But when you play into Liverpool's hands like this and you miss chances and you want to have the game being a bit open, nobody turns the ball over better and just sucker punches you as much as they do. And they demonstrated that in the important part of the game today. He did, and you know I am going to sound like the the, the bit
0: United fan here, but for me, <laughs> James Milner has to go. That's a red card, and you can't just. I don't know, like you just think. Ant's being a bit kind, like about it, because it was a blatant second yellow, and that that matters. That's a, a massive sort of turning point because he's involved in Salah's goal I know it's a brilliant goal by Mo Salah even I'm not going to take anything away from him there but if James Milner's not on the pitch as he shouldn't have been, does does Mo Salah have the ball to score that goal? I think it started with with James Milner and I think that's one thing that might be different this season last season there was no fans and you know Liverpool, I'm not saying they lost all those games because there was no fans but it's no coincidence that they lost six on the trot at home which they've never done before and when you see decisions like that being given you think is that the crowd playing a part there? Not just getting behind the team and jigging them up, but also putting the ref off making what was a pretty easy decision for me to, to, to pull out a second yellow. So, yeah, we know what Liverpool are about. We know that they've got an amazing sort of attacking ability and they're always going to be up for it. But I think when you get decisions like that as well, then, you, you know, you're going to be very hard to beat because for me, that was a... a that that was was That's a decision that, that changes the game. It really does. And I think that had I been, you know, a City fan, or had that been United, I'd have been fuming. I'd have been fuming about that because you could see how Pep was. Pep was taking off his cardi, He was running up and down. He got booked in the end. He was going. He was going berserk. And and he must be frustrated because when was it? You know, those memes were doing the the, the rounds. Was it two seasons ago of him saying twice? of holding his fingers up about the VAR decisions and going twice and and screaming and he must get in his head and think like I come here and I get these decisions against me and it's just not a fair crack of the whip and that's what worries me a little bit that referees for me have got to be stronger at a packed Anfield because
3: you're always going to get the crowd on your back but you've got to do the right decisions and I don't think Paul Tierney did that today Uh, From your newfound love for Liverpool as de facto Liverpool fan to your long-standing frustration with Manchester United, Jay. We're going to look at United (laughs) yesterday in uh, the lunchtime kickoff, One-all at home to Everton. And if there was a bit of frustration about Liverpool and Man City for for Liverpool and City fans, there's definitely frustration for you and and United fans based on this result. Looking at some of the key numbers coming away from the game. Dominated possession, 74%. Dominated shots, shots on target. Had three times as many shots on target. Ten times more calls more corners than Everton, more possession in the right areas of the pitch. But ultimately, it only uh, translated into one goal and eventually got picked off. And it could potentially have been worse if uh, if Tom Davies had scored or, or Yerry Mina had not been offside. We'll talk about Ronaldo and, and Solskjaer and, and the post-game interview in just a second. But based on the game itself, All of this domination, so much of the ball, you know that Rafa Benitez wants the opposition to have the ball. The impetus is on United, on Solskjaer, on the players to find a way through because they know what Everton's game plan is all along. And ultimately, they were the ones to execute a game plan, not United.
0: Yeah, and it was incredibly frustrating because, you know, we had a lot of the ball and... I think like he said six shots on target there was a couple of of decent efforts I think Cavani should have scored with a header but some of those shots on target you know there was one with Jaden Sancho which was basically a a glorified pass back it doesn't tell you the full story but we have to be taking those chances and I think the the, sort of the big talking point before the game was the the starting lineup. I know you're going to get into the Ronaldo thing later on but he took a bit of a gamble playing anti-Martial that seems to pay off because Martial scored but if you pick that team that Oli picked and you don't get a result then you're going to get people questioning you because it was there was a lot of change. It wasn't just, don't forget, it wasn't just Cristiano Ronaldo who left out. He left out Paul Popper as well, who's you know record-breaking number of assists so far this season, and he's left out him and Cristiano Ronaldo. So it's it's it, it, you know it makes a difference. Don't forget as well, you're already missing um, Harry Maguire, and people go, oh, well, Didums, whatever, but you know he's a massive defender for us. So when you've got three of your best players not starting, that's gonna that's gonna sort of throw up a few questions and. It wasn't a great performance by Manchester United. Everton, like you say, they had a game plan. And what sort of annoys me a little bit as well about all this? We brought in Eric Ramsey, and I'm not just digging out Eric Ramsey, but brought in a set piece coach. And a big sort of deal was made of it. We've got this set piece coach, and he's going to change the way we, we, we handle set pieces and what we do at set pieces. Everton scored from our corner. That's how bad it is. We didn't. Even, not only did we not scoring from set pieces, I think we've scored from one, and that was the Alex Teller's goal that came from a free kick. Um, against uh, Villarreal but we're we're now to the point where we're conceding goals from our own corners so they need to fix up and I don't and I'll keep saying I don't want to point fingers but I'm going to and Fred's got to do better because it doesn't matter how you set your team mm-hmm. up, what tactics you have, what you do in terms of, you know, your patterns of play or whatever. If you've got a midfielder who's getting pushed off the ball the way that Fred did by Damari Gray, who's not the biggest lad, then it's just not good enough, I'm afraid. And that's what's going to cost Ole going Solskjaer, is these mistakes by players that he's shown a lot of faith in as well. He's shown a lot of faith in Fred and it's not being repaid because I don't think Fred's having a good season at all.
3: Looking at the Ronaldo situation, Jay, Solskjaer was a little bit short in his post-game press conference. He kind of referred to experts and journalists and and some armchair fans who've kind of said that he picked the wrong team. Ronaldo should have played, despite the fact that he completed 90 minutes and obviously scored in in added time against Real in midweek. But Solskjaer does have a point that Ronaldo, even though he is Cristiano Ronaldo, he's a 36-year-old turning 37 this season. He does need to be managed. His games need to be picked and selected. And, and when Ronaldo was bought, they probably had the calendar out at United's training ground and picking games and rest periods where they could work it. On the face of it, as you say, pre kickoff it's not the worst call in the world. He's played against Real. It's a shortish turnaround. We know Solskjaer wasn't happy about that either. United should be able to beat Everton without Ronaldo when there is Cavani, Martial, etc. in the team. The worrying bit for United and United fans at the moment is that we're already in a situation now whereby Ronaldo has to play. There can't be rest periods booked in for Ronaldo because he's already so important. But if he's already so important, that shows the deficiencies elsewhere in the squad. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a weird one with Ronaldo because he is important, but I think that even without
0: Ronaldo, United have got a very strong front three. Don't forget, we've got Marcus Rashford coming back, who's you know gets basically a goal and assist almost. I think it's every two games or something. Last season, he's been one of the most prolific sort of goal um, involved goal have the most goal involvements. I think across Europe, he's one of the top sort of producers of that. You've got him, you've got Jadon Sancho, you've got Edinson Cavani, you've got Mason Greenwood. So it's not like we're well, like up front I think it's a case of getting the balance right and and picking like you said picking the right players at the right times and the sort of the odd thing about Saturday's game was not the fact that he dropped Ronaldo I kind of get that it was when he made his substitution when Ronaldo came on it actually we seemed to lose a little bit of our rhythm a little bit of our momentum that seems to to throw a span in the work the fact that Martial I know he got his goal started was a bit of an odd one because a lot of people looking at it and going he hasn't looked great Pogba's being dropped as well as not having Ronaldo that's a bit of a strange one and also Jadon Sancho not getting another start in the Premier League so everyone's going to focus on Ronaldo and I can understand that because he's one of the the greatest players of all time but we have got enough attacking players quality attacking players when you look at Rashford Greenwood um, and Sancho in particular and Cavani as well that that shouldn't be an issue for me the, the issue is, you, you know, you're playing two holding midfielders to protect your defence, and they're not doing that. And our midfield was where the game was won and lost for me on Saturday because you can point at Ronaldo, you can point at, at Sancho or, or Marshall, or whoever you want, but our midfield just wasn't good enough. And that was, uh, uh, you know, I keep going back to it. It wasn't just Fredo had a poor game. I don't I like Scott McTominay, but I don't think he played well either. So there's that big hole in the middle of the park that needs addressing. And that's the one area we didn't address in
3: the transfer market this summer, and it's showing. Just sticking with Ronaldo for a second, so I wanna get your view on this because obviously Salcho is always going to be asked Aston and We can kind of see between now and the end of the season, every press conference is probably gonna be at least one Ronaldo-focused conversation. This idea of a rest, the Everton game, was maybe penciled in a little while back because he's gonna go away on international duty with Portugal, and you look at United's run after the international break. Leicester away, Atalanta at home in the Champions League, Liverpool at home, Spurs, Atalanta, and then City from that block of games, if we're looking at Ronaldo for the important games, the fact that he has to play in these massive games, on the back of going away with Portugal, he comes back and there is six games on the bounce where he's probably going to have to start and probably will start all of them. So, this idea of rest its ultimately going to lead to a bit of a standoff because Solskjaer knows that he does have to rest he does have to manage certain games and even Ronaldo as confident as he is in himself knows the coaching staff the medical team even Ronaldo's personal team will be saying to him you're not going to play every game you're not going to play maybe 80 or nine. and um, probably only play 80 or 90 percent of games this season but given how important he is already they can't leave him out, and ultimately, at the end of the day, that's going to have a detrimental effect on Ronaldo and United.
2: I'm a little bit confused there because you seem to be suggesting that Everton is not a massive game for Manchester United at the minute. <laughs>
3: um, I, they should. They should. I <laughs> listen, and Jay said it as well. They should. United should be beating Everton at home. Without Cristiano Ronaldo They should yeah, But the thing is that And it's interesting Jay
2: picked up on something About how there was a change When Ronaldo came on And I wonder if It's undeniable Ronaldo's record And of course You know Me and Jay were both on together When we thought he was coming to City <laughs> And uh, although I You know Although I wasn't expecting it I was also delighted At the thought of him Of him coming there But the I think the The issue is With a, with a personality like that you You're there's 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 a problem of managing not just in terms of the fitness but in terms of the dare I say ego because he is such a huge player he is such a, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say he's bigger than the club but I, I'm I'm not suggesting anything like that but the the, the uh, I wonder if there's something where within the rest of the squad and obviously we've all seen the pictures of when some of the team met Ronaldo when he first time first time at United and we've seen those pictures and they're cute pictures but he he kind of has this godlike presence about him and i i worry and fear for some of the squad that they think oh it's all right he's here now and actually what they need to be doing is they need to be stepping up and he's you know he's even with his age he's probably there's probably few players in, in that squad that can match him for his level of fitness and the way he looks after himself but i i wonder if there is a little bit of disruption there that needs to be managed as well, in terms of how the rest of the team uh, react around him. I I also think, how do you tell Ronaldo he's not going to play? You know how mm. how do how do you manage that? You have to have. I think it's different. I think if but that's a manager's job. Still have job. Ferguson there. Yeah, but I think if Ferguson was there, not a problem because he, th- there is that respect. Now, obviously, there is a little bit of an overlap with with Oli from from when he was there before. Um, I don't know what their relationship is like. I don't know if there's, there's not going to be the same level of respect there, probably, because he's he's just not got that record. But I, I think that's um, what's needed. And I think, you you know, Jay's right. You, you've got such a great squad there. You've got such great depth. Um, we're still to see the best of, of Sancho since he came in. Um, and as you say, Rashford is... is And and especially when you look at the players that he'll have played with by the time he's in his mid twenties, what an education he's had as a as a future prospect. You know, not just for United but for England as well, moving forward. And I I think it's maybe it's something to do with the contract. Maybe it's something there that he has to be in and he has to do that. But I, I I think there is a it's a bit of a hot potato for them to manage. And you know, he's not somebody you want to upset. Really, I guess.
3: Uh, and before we take a quick break, I just want to ask you about Everton. Obviously, Rafa Benitez has had a nice, steady start to life uh, on the blue half of Merseyside, just one Premier League defeat so far this season. And there was an interesting parallel in this game, the role of Damari Gray winning the ball off Fred and then Andros Chanzer knocking in the winner. Between them, just over a million and a half they cost to come to the club this summer. And when you look at the business that Rafa Benitez has done and you look at the business that Carlo Ancelotti has done, particularly James Rodriguez, James Rodriguez comes into Everton it didn't really fit in my opinion from the get go and then particularly after Ancelotti left he clearly didn't want to be there anymore, move gets negotiated and he leaves. You've got two players here in Grey and Townsend I'm not comparing their records to James Rodriguez of course but you've got a player particularly in Townsend that is incredibly experienced in the Premier League and will get you across the course of a season more points in the bag than James Rodriguez doing it once every two months
2: Yeah, there's a little bit of a feel uh, for those of you who can remember that far back, the whole James Rodriguez saga was a little like when City signed Robinho, it was like like, oh let's make a statement let's just spend big money on on a big name and not really thinking about how that player fitted in with the the team and and those kind of things And it, it would have been great to see him work out at Everton but Unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't and, and he has struggled when he was previously at, at Madrid. But in terms of the players that he's brought in, he's, he's definitely, there's a life that's been brought breathed into them as well. Townsend looks as good as he was when he first burst onto the scene, which was a good 10 years ago. And, um, you know, just the movement, the, 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 the confidence within that team as well. And it would not have been, you know, yes, it was an offside and, and perhaps he should have taken the shot right at the end. But I think you would have been hard to argue that they didn't deserve that if if they'd snatched it right at the end. I know Jay would have been even more upset than he is. Um, But I, I think, you know, Benitez has been at both ends of the scale. You know, he's been Champions League, he's had the budgets, and he's been at the other side when he was at Newcastle when he had no money. And he's gone down a division, he's come back up. And so he... He he seems to have a remarkable way of, of working with players. And of course, you know, a lot of the Liverpool legends that we talk about these days, you know, he, he was looking after as well. So I, I think it's not a surprise that he's doing that well. And and I said it earlier in the season, I think this is gonna be a very enjoyable season for all Everton fans.
3: Yeah, indeed. Uh, We're going to call it there for part one. And as a nice, neat little bookend to the first part of the show, the four teams discussed are actually back-to-back in the table. Liverpool slipped down to second, Manchester City down to third. Manchester United end the weekend in fourth and a point at Old Trafford jumps Everton up to fifth right we're going to take a quick break after the break we're going to be talking about number one Chelsea back to winning ways 3-1 victory over Southampton means that Thomas Tuchel is back on top going into the international break we're going to be looking at that as well as a big win for Spurs Nuno Santos has been under pressure but three points against Aston Villa keeps him smiling we'll be back in just a second Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. Before the break, the big, big clash at Anfield, Liverpool two, Manchester City two, and another draw for another team from Manchester this weekend. Manchester United one all draw at home two. Everton. We're going to move on. Jay, I'm going to go to you first on this. Chelsea, as I mentioned just before the break end the weekend top of the Premier League table, 16 points from 7 games played so far. But it's been a difficult week for Thomas Tuchel. Defeat to Manchester City last weekend opened up a couple of question marks uh, about the way he's been doing things. Maybe they need to be a little bit more flexible. They then go away to Juventus in midweek and lose in the Champions League, first European defeat for him since he's uh, since he's taken over at the club. But they bounce back 3-1 win against Southampton. Back end of the game played with 10 men after James Ward-Prowse was sent off. But this was a very timely reminder for Tuchel and Chelsea of just how good they are, just how much firepower they've got. And we talked about United's games after the international break and how they will be quite demanding in the situation regarding Cristiano Ronaldo. But looking at Chelsea's games after the international break, if they come back with very few injuries from the break, they could just power on here because there's a run between now and possibly even December, where they might not lose a game. Yeah, I mean you look at that and like, you know,
0: I was saying and you've said yourself, they've they've obviously had some tough games so far and they can make the most of it when they come back when they've got the lights I think they've got Newcastle and Norwich and and, and Brentford I think coming up as well. Um it was it was it's just crazy in it with, with, with Chelsea and with Tuchel that You say pressure there and I can almost see it like had they lost to Southampton for example you feel like he would be under pressure despite the fact he won the Champions League last season because you remember like with Di Matteo? I know he was never really a favourite of Abramovich but he won the, the Champions League and he won the FA Cup I think as well didn't he and, he, and then he got sacked it's like at, at Chelsea they don't mess about and if you get a run of results that aren't going well then you, all of a sudden you're under pressure no matter what you've just won and who you are and I think looking at Southampton's game I saw um, a little bit of it saw the highlights and you know it was obvious that the Ward-Prowse red card had a massive effect because they got two goals I think after he got sent off but for me it was a red card as well so there's not much, too much to to, to grab moan about um Timo Werner as well getting amongst the goals you know he's had a awful time of it not just in terms of goals but some of his performances when I've seen him he just looks like he's completely uh lost confidence In it's maybe a little bit similar to to Andy Martial if I can bring it back to United in the sense that he needed a goal and maybe needs a like a performance like that to to, to sort of you know remind everyone of how how good he can be and that's the thing that Chelsea've got they've got that strength because you know Timo Werner he, he is a top quality player they've got Lukaku they've got um you know the likes of um Havertz and Ziyech, who I don't even think played at all um, at the weekend, so they've got the strength in depth, they've got a decent run coming up you know, they're sat at the top of the table it's all looking pretty, but as you know with Chelsea if things do start going wrong, no matter whether you're Thomas Tuchel or anyone else, you're going to be under pressure
3: Yeah, and I think And when we look at Chelsea in terms of performances, the game against City, there was question marks about maybe Pep getting the better of Tuchel in terms of a tactical position. And that expected response against Juventus never really came. You would be a fool to really question them based on how good they were at the back end of last season. Very, very close to ending it with two major trophies. Got the Champions League but lost out in the in the FA Cup. And the situation that he came into after Frank Lampard wasn't pretty. There was a lot of work that needed to be done. And barring this little stumble in the last five or six days, they have been excellent so far this season. But they did need this. The international break can be a bit of a breather. Players go away. Again, Chelsea fans will be hoping for no injuries. But... It is very important to sign off for the international break. If you've had a bit of negativity, to sign off with a positive.
2: Yeah, it's simply just because you've got that a bit, a bit of a gap through to the next bit, and it's kind of, you know, with all the games that we have, the table moves around so much. So just having that little bit of extra time where you kind of like are oh, sitting pretty on top, just gives the feel and the the, the contentment around around the club. I imagine. Um, I I think, you know, we, we, we've got to stop and take it into consideration. Like he's he's been there. This is his 10th month at the club or so, and um, you know, what he has achieved, not just in terms of the actual, you know, bringing home the the Champions League, which is, you know, something the City fans know is not easy to get hold of, but what he's done in turning around that team, turning them into a defensive unit, and also working with different players and and getting the best out of them. I mean, we're still to see that. uh, I think Werner's still a work in progress, but you know, if he gets that finishing right, he's just going to be deadly. But what was interesting, what I really liked to see as well yesterday was that the, he used um, Loftus Cheek and then substituted him for Barkley as well, and both of them had decent games as well. So, again, this comes back to the the depth that um, that Jay was was picking up on, and I think as as a squad, you know, the, the, they compare to anybody else in the league right now. And as as a manager, I think tactically, he's he's up there with with with, with Guardiola. And you know, I, I I think if he can stay there for another season or so, it'd be really. I'm not sure "exciting" is the right word as a non-Chelsea fan, but I'm sure for Chelsea fans, it will be very exciting to see what they what they do and, and what they bring out of them.
3: Another manager who'll be pleased to sign off with a positive three points ahead of the international break will be Nuno Santo J. Tottenham 2-1 win over Aston Villa. And you have kind of penny for, th- penny for it Nuno Santo's thoughts so far this season because the first month was absolutely dominated by Harry Kane. Every question he was asked seemed to have some sort of angle tipped towards him and, and based on results... He's gone through a little bit of a sticky patch in the last month and he's kind of steadied the ship, still doing well in Europe and picking up results, albeit in the Europa Conference League. But this, for a similar reason and arguably even more seriously um, than it was for Chelsea, this was a really, really important three points because Tottenham can't afford to slide because inevitably any sort of poor form, Santos is one of those managers that inevitably the blame gets lumped on him there's a lot of players at Tottenham I'm going to touch on one in particular I'm going to go to on him in a sec but Santo seems to be getting a little bit of an unfair amount of stick based on the fact that Tottenham are still doing relatively well they're in Europe this season they're 8th in the table they're not doing badly Santo with what's in front of him is probably doing the best he can Yeah
0: I, I think so and I think that you know the, the sort of what the, the way that Spurs were ever going to challenge at the top or get near the top of the table would be heavily reliant on Harry Kane and he's not done anything really this season. And I think you look at the sort of the the drama they had in the summer when it comes to came to appointing a manager, and there was all that sort of nonsense going on about they were going to appoint one one chap, and then he wasn't going to be him. Then it was Nuno, which you know I don't know how that made him feel like he was third choice or whatever. It can't have been great. Then there's the whole Kane to City saga that just went on and on and on. And um, so he's on a bit of a you know it doesn't start off very well, and then you have. This you know a decent start. Obviously the big win over City as well. The game against Arsenal saw that, and Spurs were dreadful. They were terrible. And you look at it and you think this isn't a good look. But to come back from that with a with a, a good win as well, because Villa have looked lively this season, and also getting that little bit of perhaps that that little bit of luck you need as well. You know, I think it's an own goal on it for the for the winner. Just start just get the three points. Put that sort of you know bad spell spell you've had behind you. and Go into the international break, and hopefully when you come back from that, then you can sort of you know go again as, as they say but yeah it's 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 I, I do feel for nuno because like you were saying there he's he's sort of the expectation i think is a bit unfair because they haven't spent massively in the transfer market it came into an absolute mess because it was a mess Spurs you know you the, the, the look at the, the obviously he sacked Jose brought in Ryan Mason and he, you know he, he's, he's come in and, and you've got a, a star striker who isn't scoring goals and, and wanted to leave that's not easy to, to deal with all that and I think that whilst you know you look at the table you're either going to go oh he's been fantastic because we're sat in wherever it is eighth I think that's pretty okay considering the
3: the the, the shambles that he's had to deal with looking at Harry Kane and, or as we should call him, to give him his full title, Manchester City former transfer target, Harry Kane. Jay's right, it, it's not been a stellar season for Harry Kane, and we're not writing him off we, we know that he is a talented player and he, he is a thorough thoroughbred goalscorer but looking at his record so far this season he hasn't actually scored in the Premier League so far, there was obviously a delayed start because of the situation with City would he leave, would he stay, etc but it's been Song Hyun-min who's been the key man three goals in the Premier League so far winning goal against City and the winner against Watford two assists against Villa again today and Son we know is a quality player but Kane has noticeably dropped off we, we don't think this is going to be the case right the way through the season but do you think Kane has now put himself in a position where he just has to hit par for this season make sure there's not too many issues so that come next summer whether it's City whether it's somebody else he can look to try and push for a move away again I think it's a
2: classic example of the, the fact that in football there's one thing that makes everything better and that's a goal you know and it, it, you know that's that's all he's looking for and obviously he, he did you know he got a hatful in, in in midweek in the europa conference thing in whatever they call it these days um you know which which shows he can still he still knows where the net is it's not like anything's broken it's not like his targeting systems off he knows where the net is and and he knows how to score um i think in many ways actually given that that kane has been Underperforming, and I think that's a that's a fair comment to make. Underperforming so far this season in the Premier League, and remember, he hasn't played all the games. The, the fact that he's been underperforming actually, you know, g- gives more weight to this this victory. You know, when you know previously they've been so reliant. We, we we talked about, or rather, I did about the danger of being so reliant on one player when we were chatting about Ronaldo earlier. Um, you know, it, it's great that they've got a son who is massive probably the most consistent player at, at the club um, you never hear people talking about certain months of the year where he doesn't score um, Lucas Moura know has been a bit hit and miss but obviously he popped up again today I, I, I think it's great that there are other players that are stepping up to do that and Hoiberg himself has been probably one of the best signings that they've had in, in recent seasons at Spurs um, as for Harry I mean I think the difficulty is is none of us here you know are, are able to sort of match his performance when he's at his best you know we can't explain how he does all those things and so it, i think it's really difficult for us to explain you know why it's not right why it's not going there and, and i'm sure you know he, there is some disappointment if the rumors that we hear are true about the gentleman's agreement and that being reneged on and it's a club that he's been with his whole life and he's given enough to and he's been as far as he he's concerned you think from what you hear he's been open with them about what would happen he's had the opportunity you know and he's seen the likes of his England teammate in Grealish getting to play in the Champions League and and he hasn't got that this season and um, yeah I I, I think I think it's really difficult to, to put a finger on it but he's obviously not broken you know he can do it um I just, I just think it is. It's going to be one of these things that is constantly asked until he scores, and then once he scores a couple of games in a row in the Premier League, people will forget all about it and move on until the transfer window opens up again.
3: Yeah, definitely. Tottenham fans will be hoping that during the international break, Gareth Southgate can take Harry Kane's batteries out, give him a rub rub them put them back in and hopefully uh, kick him back into gear <laughs> works every time it does it does it works with everything TV remotes England international strikers honestly it works with absolutely everything uh, just to call it in terms of the league table before we take a quick break that win for Tottenham brings them up to 8th in the table they're back inside the top half Aston Villa slipped down to 10th Chelsea as we mentioned end the weekend top of the shop but Southampton are still winless so far this season they're one of four teams yet to pick up three points so far Right, we are going to call it there for part two of the show. After the break, it is the final six games of the weekend. One team did get their first win. That was Leeds. But the big story from their three points against Watford is Watford have sacked another manager. We're going to be talking about that and all the other games from the rest of the weekend in just a second.
1: Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
3: Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, we are here every single day bringing you a daily Premier League podcast. If you're a fan of the show, if you're a regular listener or you're a new subscriber, just click subscribe on this episode and you can get a brand new one every single day. Right, we're going to crack on with the rest of the games this weekend. Jay, Leeds won, Watford nil. As I mentioned before the break, Leeds and Marcelo Bielsa finally getting themselves off the mark for 21-22 with three points but the big story is cisco's sacking now there's been some absolutely wild stats wheeled out about watford and their trigger happy um mentality towards managers and it is ridiculous the big one for me four of the last 11 premier league managers that have been sacked in the last 12 in the last two years have been watford managers but during that period watford have only been a premier league club for 50 percent of that time nobody has sacked more managers in the history of the Premier League before Christmas than Watford and October is the most common month for Watford to sack a manager. Now, what is it? Is it <laughs> Halloween? Are they are they frightened of ghosts? Is it something like that? Because I look at the situation with Cisco. Seven points on the board from seven games gone. You've got Ralph Harson Daniel Farku haven't won a game so far this season. Neither has Steve Bruce. He is under a bit of pressure. Sean Deich hasn't won, but Harson Hootl, Farker, and Deich are under absolutely no pressure. Cisco has done relatively well with Watford so far this season and he's been sacked. I mean it is just
0: it's is bonkers isn't it let's have it right there's no there's no there's no way to defend it or explain it. I mean you've you've rattled off a lot of stats there about the fact that they were that, you know they look the managers below them the teams below him. Watford haven't embarrassed themselves this season in the Premier League. It's not like they've come up and they've gone you could look at Norwich and go you know their record and go okay is this just not happening do we need to 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 Sort of hit panic stations and do something because the manager's not getting a tune out of these players. But when you're sat in what fifteenth and you've you've won is it two games you've won so far this season? I think Watford. I mean, that's not bad. I mean, I know it's not exactly you know setting the world alike, but for a team that's just come up to be sat with two victories under your belt, you know, five teams below you, um, then there's no need to panic. And I think when you look at sacking managers, you look at you, th- you think there's there's lots of different reasons to sack manager, but. You know, a lot of the time it's obviously results his players aren't playing for him he's lost the dressing room you know you bring someone else in they'll be able to do a better job but I don't see any of those issues at Watford I don't think there is anyone where you say oh if they get him in he's going to come in and you know, Watford are going to fly up the table and you also have to think what is the expectation at Watford Mm. I'd have thought and I'm sure Watford fans can can fill me in if I'm wrong on this I'd have thought being around 15th is probably where Watford and I'll say this carefully but and it sounds crazy to say this but hope to be I know you obviously hope to be higher but I think in real, in realistic terms you'd think you know if we can finish comfortably above the relegation zone I know it's not over yet but that'd be that'd be good enough for us and he's got him there seven games in and then you're saying no that's not good enough we're going to get rid of you and you were mentioning it last time how you know the the, the um, I think last time they were in the Premier League, when they got relegated, the sacked, was it Grazia, and then Flores came in, then was it Pearson, then Mullins, I think they had like four or five managers or whatever it was, in the space of a season, finished 19th and got relegated. So it didn't work. And then this season, you look at it and you go, there's several things I'd be thinking. One, if I was a Watford player, I'd be thinking, what am I doing here? Because this is just a shambles. And two, if you're a manager going to Watford, you think, why would you want to go there? Because unless you're going to get them challenging for the title, you're probably going to get sacked.
2: Well, I on this personally, I, I kind of love it. As an outsider, I think it's brilliant because uh, on top of all the stats that Fergal just gave us, he gave us possibly my favourite footballing stat ever. And in that season, Troy Deeney struggled with injuries and became the first Premier League player to make four consecutive appearances Under four different managers (laughs) at the same (laughs) club, (laughs) (laughs) which that is a (laughs) (laughs) mess. So that's a quiz
0: question. That
2: that is a definite quiz
0: question. But the thing, the
2: thing is, it it makes me wonder, right? Have we have we just misunderstood it, or have Watford and and their owners misunderstood what's going on here? Because, as you rightly said, Jay, you know they're not doing too bad. You know, literally, you're looking at you know like t- two wins, two wins and a draw out of seven. You know, that's all right. That's the same that Vieira's on a Palace. You know, and and so you think well, and and when you look at some of the previous sackings it hasn't always corresponded. You know, this 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 is a club that I haven't thought twice about. You know, oh well, we're going into an FA Cup final. Never mind. See you later. You know, so um and I'm wondering if perhaps actually you know. For, for the managers because they still keep getting managers going in and so I wonder is it some kind of I mean you've just gone back to university y- yourself yeah. Jay is is it like some kind of qualification where you come in and you do a semester <laughs> or two semesters right and you can't, don't always control when that semester ends once you've got your dissertation in that's it you're off you know is, is that what's going on I think the bar's
0: been lowered that much I think managers now say if I can do a month at Watford if I can get a month <laughs> under my belt people will actually that'll look good on my CV do you know what I mean? If it can like, get get all the way through to to December from November, or whatever, because it is just that that's that you brought the Troy Deeney one. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the one you did as well, Fergal. The 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 um, you know uh, October's the, the 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 preferred month for him sacking managers, which tells its own story as well. Because that's usually a month where you still well, it's not usually. It is a month when you're still early in the season. It just shows that that club. It's just their 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 way of working is crazy. And also, it's not like Chelsea where. They sack managers And are successful Watford sack loads of managers And usually end up Either getting relegated Or fighting relegation So I don't know why They keep doing it It's not like it's working
2: Maybe maybe this is something In the contracts Where if they sack
3: them Before 12 months is up They don't have to pay them off As much that that.
0: That could make some sort of That would actually make more sense Than what they're doing
3: Potentially, yeah. Um, if you listen to this podcast and you've got access to a computer, definitely get yourself onto the Watford Manager Wikipedia page. It is a bit of a wild ride. And <laughs> you uh, pointed out Patrick Vieira before, so we're going to touch on Crystal Palace. Two-all draw against Leicester and this was a real old-fashioned Jay Motti uh, game of two halves because first half, Palace gave up two goals. Ianacho and Vardy put Leicester two up. You'd expect Leicester, the form that they're in and, and the position that they normally occupy in the Premier League to just power on and, and win this one. But some really 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 important changes from Vieira after the break. Michael Alise and Jeff Schlopp both come on, both score. Alise getting a goal and an assist. He looks like a really, really promising player. And Palace have still got a lot of the base of Roy Hodgson where for the neutrals he might not be the most exciting to watch, particularly inside their own half. They're very straightforward in the way that they look to defend. But these players that Vieira has brought in, some of the younger players that he's looking to give more game time to, they are a bit more enterprising going forward. And they've not, Again, going back to the kind of Watford analogy, they've not looked bad this season. They've lost the games that you'd expect them to lose. They've drawn the games that you'd expect them to draw. And they go into the international break on the back of a win and two draws in the last four games. It's decent enough form. And Palace is very, uh, sorry, Vieira is very, very slowly trying to change things and make them a bit more interesting to watch.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and when you look at what they, what the job that he had when he came in, you know because we we almost a similar situation to spurs in a sense where they had this sort of vacuum that was left but the vacuum at palace at sellers park wasn't just um in roy hudson it was a whole swathe of players and i think it was what, 14 15 basically an entire first team squad were out of contract and um you know, we were still, it was still the the news season had kicked off before. You know, the likes of Gary Cahill had confirmed that they'd actually gone and moved on, and so I think all that considered, all the changes that have gone on, I think from what I've heard from from Palace fans and also what I've seen myself on on, on the on the pitch there, it's it's pleasantly surprising. You know, I I think they could have been expected to sort of like be. The whipping boys of the league so far, and you're right. you said, you know, they've they've had a few, you know, uh, three nil defeats uh, as as we've started this season. But there's some really positive signs there, and and yes, Leicester aren't for whatever reason the Leicester aren't firing, and I'm sure you'll look at that in a moment. But to show that resolve to to come back against the FA Cup winners, against the team that. Uh, just missed out on Champions League for the last Two seasons, to come back from Two goals down against that um, And still be without one of their key players In Eze, you know, that says a lot For that squad, the team that's come in They also, Ed, Edward, who's looked lively Since he came down from Scotland uh, he, I think he hit the bar as well And so, you know, the, there's something Exciting there that's that's happening And I think uh, You know, in terms of building For the future, and, and in terms of going through what is effectively this is a transitional phase it's a transitional period there were so many question marks about everything and you know it's not a massive hole like we said it's the same amount of points that Zisco had at at Watford but I think there's enough there to give uh, the fans at Palace something to really look forward to
3: moving on to some of the other games this weekend Jay Wolves 2 Newcastle 1 bit of a disclaimer here I can't face another weekend of discussing Steve Bruce's future because it's just rinse and repeat for the, f- f- for the f- poor f- man f- thank god you've just said that for uh, yeah. for the poor man every weekend so Bruce Newcastle we're going to give you a break this time round and, and talk about Wolves Bruno Lage start of the season was under a bit of pressure but again Picked up and, and things are looking good. Back-to-back wins for them. Three wins from the last four in, in the Premier League. And Raul Jiménez comes back into the team. Got himself his first goal in, in almost a year after that really nasty head injury last weekend. And he played a different role this time round. Two assists for Huang He-Chan, who's really, really taken to playing for Wolves. The Wolves fans love him. They were singing about him way, way after full-time yesterday. And in the past, obviously under Nuno Santo, we've seen with Wolves, if they've got a system in and around Jiménez they can perform. They can power up the table. They're generally fairly solid right the way through the rest of the team. But in the past, it was Jogo Jota, demonstrated how good he was, got his move to Liverpool and has gone up another level or two. Adama Traore, there's talk of him potentially moving on to a, quote, bigger club in January or maybe next summer. But with He Chan and Trincao, who they've got in on loan from Barcelona, they've got a system in place, and hopefully Jimenez is, is back to his, his full powers now, that even if they're maybe not pushing for Europe as they were under Santo, they've got enough goals and enough forward impetus that they should be absolutely safe.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think you look at Chan. obviously he's getting his, you know, couple of goals there. You mentioned there about Jimenez getting back up amongst the goals last last week, was it? Um which I think everyone, even from a neutral point of view, is good to see because obviously that horrific injury had where I think he's at one point looked like he didn't know if he was gonna be able to carry on playing. But they've got quality players, Wolves. You mentioned them there, you know, you look at the likes of Neves and Martinho and, and um and one or two others they've got it's not like they've had a massive clear out. Yes they've lost one or two good players, but they've still got a lot there. And even if for me if they lost Adama Traore, who everyone loves and it's quite a you know a carry to with his baby oil and he is always a handful but his end product is non-existent and I think they could afford to lose him to be honest with you and I think that they've got a, a, a good squad there you said there about if they find a system that works we've seen it in the past I don't know if they're going to be challenging for the Europa League I don't know if it might just be a mid-table type of season for them but I think the, 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 they've got enough quality there to do better than they have been doing so far this season and the last two results have shown that
3: yeah, um, moving on again, we're going to keep powering on through the games. West Ham won, Brentford 2, and the Brentf- Brentford bandwagon just keeps rolling on. West Ham maybe a little bit ragged based on uh, having to play midweek in the Europa League, but Brentford you just can't keep them down I'm just looking at some of their results here and inevitably there is starting to be comparisons because they've come up from the championship how would they cope um, to Sheffield United in 2019-20 and looking at the points on the board for both of them so far they're actually doing better than Sheffield United did when they came up in, in 1920 Brentford seven games and 12 points Sheffield United only had nine points after their first seven games could they do a Sheffield United? Do you look at them and think, here is a team that is prepared for the Premier League and maybe, just like it was with Sheffield United, the Premier League are not fully prepared for them?
2: I think the it's a slightly unfair comparison and I think the main difference is, is that Sheffield United got up a season before they planned and with Brentford it took them a season longer and I think that was maybe making the difference here. And the main difference is, is that Brentford are not struggling for people that can put the ball in the back of the net which is super important I mean I think a lot of uh, the Blade success was built on their defence and that they were hard to beat uh, whereas you know what we've seen from Brentford is they can go toe to toe and we, we saw it last weekend uh, with Liverpool which was an absolute corker of a, a game again um, and so I think That they're they're in a they're in a great position, and you know anybody that saw them play in the championship last season, the season before, are not going to be surprised. I mean, I I know a lot of people, a lot of questions were asked about Ivan Tony, but he's as good a playmaker and a provider as he is a striker, and I I think it's going to be a a a very you know already it's a great season, you know that they're. You know, looking at the, some of the performances that we've seen down the bottom end of the table, you could almost say that they're safe, uh, which was kind of the, the thing that we, we, we saw with Sheffield United that they were saying early on in the season. Do have to give a shout out though to, um, to David Moyes, congratulations uh, t- uh, today marks his 200th defeat in the Premier League uh, I was, one of I was there a for
0: a few of them. I'm not going to know. Yeah, I'm I sure he'd be very grateful <laughs> if like like I can con- pass that message on. Yeah, contributed uh, to some yeah. of them myself with my uh, yeah. support.
2: <laughs> one of only a handful of managers to reach that mark in the Premier League. Can you name the others? 200 defeats. Yeah. Over 200. Over 200. Bruce? Yep. Yeah.
0: Oh. <sighs> no, I was going to say. Warnock? No. Allardyce,
2: yes. Oh, um, how many more? Jay's on for a full house. One more. Not um, uh, hasn't managed for a while. Hasn't managed for a while. Pardew. Nope. Although he did manage the same club. It's not Hughes, is it? No,
3: it is Harry uh, Redknapp. Oh, of course. Ah. Yeah, oh, dear, dearie, dear! Right, couldn't happen to a nicer fella. A um, little bit of a spoiler alert for the last two games. We've now reached the point where we've used up all the goals. The other eight games this weekend were absolutely stacked with goals. But the final two, there is nothing. Nil, point. Jay Brighton, nil, Arsenal, nil. This was an absolutely rain-soaked game down on the south coast. I was quite surprised that it actually stayed the course. Such was the bad weather, but... For me as an arsenal fan and i'm delighted to be asking you this arsenal showed something a little bit of something that arsenal have been missing for a long long time which was a bit of steel back four with an average age of 23 ben white and gabrielle in the middle with tierney and tommy yashu at full back arsenal have looked to drag themselves out of the situation they were in at the start of the season one goal conceded in the last four games that came in the derby against tottenham and it's been the same back four these young players Added to Smith Rowe and added to Bukayo Saka are showing the experienced players in this team what it means to play for Arsenal and what it means to get results in the Premier League.
0: Yeah, and you know me, I'm not one for a told you so's, but I did. I said this after the defeat against, <laughs> um, against City that I looked at Arsenal's fixtures, I looked at some of the players they had, and I felt that they could turn it around and they could get the wins against the lights of Norwich and, and, and Burnley and the, the Spurs game I always feel like it's a winnable one for Arsenal which obviously they did um, and I think yeah the, 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 there's always question marks in that. I think there's always been question marks about Arsenal's resolve and that thing of you know I can't remember it was they said that they're like a um, a, a team full of, of people you'd like your daughter to bring home or whatever your son-in-laws I think someone said didn't they they're, they're too nice um, but having a bit of resolve having a bit of steel yeah they've, they've got quality there and, and I, again I think the fixture's coming up after the break After the international break um, Aren't too hard for Arsenal They've got a couple of tough ones But nothing too tricky So This could be the start of Arsenal Going back towards the top of the table Back towards the top of the table Towards the top of the table um, So yeah It looks like Arteta At least for now The pressure's off him But we know what it's like at Arsenal No offence Fergal But we know what a lot like They turn on managers quicker than we do
3: Quicker than Watford, you might say, um, and I think that's <laughs> fair enough, Jay. You've never doubted Arsenal, and I've never—I would never even question that you would doubt Arsenal. Before we go on to the thrills of Burnley against Norwich, Jay, as a parent team of son-in-laws, who would you have your eye on in the Arsenal team to be uh, up the aisle with uh, with one of your kids? Well, I listen. Um, my kids are far
0: too young to be even worrying about that yet. But I think uh, the lad that you'd always be happy to think of anyone brought him home would be Saka, wouldn't it? He's a lovely yeah. little lad there, and Ian, even though I'm no gooner, you he can't help but like the lad. And I think that um, the fact he's been getting a good reception from rival fans is only right because some of the yeah, nonsense absolutely. he endured over the Euros was pathetic, uh, especially after the performances he put in helps us get to that final. So yeah, he's he's a lovely lad, especially. Um, you know, considering that Arsenal's a horrible team, really, isn't
3: it? <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention that to your, to your new son-in-law, Bukayo Saka. But, yeah, Bukayo Saka, a king amongst men. Right, And we're going to give you the thriller. We're going to give you the Jerry Springer final word this weekend. Burnley nil, Norwich nil. This had nil-nil written all over it before a ball was even kicked. Both teams still winless so far this season, but... Norwich have finally, finally got themselves a point. Daniel Fark and some of the players were were celebrating as if they've escaped relegation, which they're probably going to be right in the mix for right the way through the campaign. Burnley, we kind of assume that because of Daish and because of the experience, they'll, they'll eventually dig themselves out. But you look at Norwich and you say, is this just clutching at straws from Fark and the players? Or is there maybe a couple of shoots of optimism that they, that they might be able to turn things around?
2: Uh, I mean, the the only comparison you can go back to in terms of uh, somebody in a similarly worse situation would be Palace a couple of seasons ago when Hodgson was parachuted in to save them. I don't think Norwich are going to change. I think for me, the, the the you know there's not much to talk about in terms of what happened at the pitch, but I just love the the dichotomy of the two managers in the press conferences and and you know, uh, Dice is a fairly upbeat character, but everything he says sounds negative and. With Daniel Farker, you know, you could completely be understanding if he was the most miserable man in the Premier League, and yet despite the fact that he now carries this, you know, unenviable record of the most consecutive Premier League defeats as a manager, he is the most wonderfully, there's something about his voice that sounds so so happy and so full of joy and so you know that he has no right Mm. to be you know that he has no right to be and it's almost like you know and and, and it's not being disrespectful he's not like he's coming in and just going oh i'm just glad to be here and i'm just enjoying it but there's definitely he has some kind of joy de vivre and and maybe there's something that all of us could draw from 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 him is it's you know in the face of adversity in the face of such terrible results to still be as positive and yes my god go out and celebrate that draw absolutely and uh, yeah but you're doomed <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, a slightly positive and negative end to the show but thank you Ant for putting a positive spin on what was probably one of the worst games so far this season <laughs> right gents we're going to call it there for the football social daily premier league weekend review show Jay Ant as ever thanks so much for your time
2: very welcome thank you was
3: a pleasure great stuff guys and uh, don't forget as always we are here every single day of the Premier League season Niall, Jim, Marley and the gang will be back tomorrow digging deep into some of the big Premier League stories from the weekend and also building up to a massive international break next weekend don't forget to check that out and we'll speak to you again very very soon
1: Football's Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode 18 plus.